Hello, and welcome to Marriage Unchained, the art of one flesh, where saving marriages, saving families, and saving souls is the flavor of the day. Now, let's join our host and author of Marriage Unchained, Catholic Alpha Radical, Jerry Jacobs Jr. Hello, welcome to episode 13. Today's focus, on location at Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Indianapolis, Father Louis Guardiola, how to avoid divorce. So sit back, relax, take a chill pill, and get ready to rock, but don't duck. Can you feel it? Catholic Alpha Radical coming at you now. Hello and welcome to Catholic Alpha Radical, a relationship podcast giving men winning tactics for marriage problems, girlfriend problems, and intimacy problems. Moreover, where my main mission is to keep you out of divorce court and where marriage unchained, the art of one flesh, divorce, combat coaching is the flavor of the day. While also helping men understand marriage and courting, not dating in the Catholic faith. Why? Because dating is for sex and courting is for marriage. This is episode 13. Bam. Our next segment is the quote of the day. So let's do this. Quote, there are two extremes to be avoided in discussing married love. One is the refusal to recognize sexual love. The other is the giving of primacy to sexual attraction. The first error was Victorian. The second is Freudian. To the Christian, sex is inseparable from the person and to reduce the person to sex is as silly as to reduce personality to lungs or a thorax. End quote. Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, three, to get married. Please remember to share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage or relationship. Rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email today. Our next segment is Catholic Alpha's Radical Rant of the Day. The Cowardice of Men, the Top 21 Reasons Men Have Caused the 2018 Scandal in the Catholic Church and Why We're Not Going to Take It Anymore. But before I start, as usual, this will be a 21-episode series, one per show, and we are up to number 13. 
also understand that the infiltration by the Catholic Church with homosexuality and radical feminism, plus the watering down of the faith and the stripping away of the Latin mass was planned in order to destroy the morality of those within the church and is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. But the most important question is, why was this done? Let me tell you, to destroy the American family, to destroy the morality in that family, and to destroy our morality and to destroy our patriotism in order that we become susceptible to communism and its ideas. See where it's going? We're in that right now. It's been happening over the last, what, 70, 80 years, and we are still, we still haven't, we still haven't caught up. So, but if you want to know more about this concept, please refer back to episode two of Catholic Alpha Radical. (laughs) Many people want to bash or worse leave the Catholic Church because of the current scandal. And I'm say what I always say, this is pure ignorance. If you are trying to leave the church because of a scandal, because of what evil men do, this means one, that your faith is kind of weak and two, that you don't really understand the faith and what Christ is asking us to do. And what is that? To be one, to be in his church, which is the Catholic faith. He started it. He didn't start 30,000 churches, 40,000 churches. He started one church. That's the Catholic church. Okay. And um, so next, if you don't understand your faith, because you have to understand your faith in order to know what to do when evil men do the things they do. And what is that? You have to, one, pray for them. Two, you have to understand that people in church are going to be who they are because they are either, they have the Judas, con, the, you know, they are in, they have the demons uh, influenced by demons. They have the, um, um, the, the Judas thing of, well, I'm going to betray Christ. So if you betray Christ, you betray the church. You leave the church, you betray Christ. Okay. So, and that's, and moreover, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because what him and his minions, they defied Christ and they defied God. So they want you to do it. Why? Because misery loves company. (laughs) Um, Another concept is we must learn to fight within the church instead of leaving things. That's our thing. We always want to leave something. No, what you do. And the problem is this is not your job. The church is not your job. Christ and God are not your job. Okay, this is not. you know, your, you know, your friends, um, little inner circle that you, you, that you talk to or deal with. This is not an or This is not the, the rifleman organization. Okay. This is the church. And so the problem is with, when things start going bad in the church, you, you can't leave it. You have to stay there and fight. So you can't change the church outside the church. Moving on. So let's get started with Number 13 of the top 21 reasons that men are responsible for the 2018 scandal in the Catholic Church. So, but first, let's review the first 12. Number one was the first radical um, Catholic Alpha Radical episode, and it was um, refusal to accept our role as men. Number two was Men allow the men in the Catholic Church, popes, cardinals, bishops, priests, deacons to water down to dilute the teachings of the Catholic faith. Number three, men didn't fight for Christ during Vatican II. Number four, an unwillingness to sacrifice for Christ. Number five, 
Men have nothing they are willing to die for. Number six, men have begun raising soft and selfish boys, a.k.a. wusses. Number seven, men don't understand our mission and purpose as men to protect, defend, and serve. Number eight, we didn't crush feminism. Number nine, we didn't crush the Protestant revolt. Number 10, we didn't crush contraception, a.k.a. birth control. Number 11, we didn't crush abortion. Number 12, we didn't crush so-called same-sex marriage. And before each number, I will read a quote directly from the document containing Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's testimony so that you can understand the gravity of this situation and move to destroy and speak out against it in your environment, church, marriage, family, work, and society at large. Look, once you know of evil, if you don't go out to society and spread the word and explain it and tell about how bad it is, then you're just like the people basically that are doing it. They're doing the act. Evil likes to stay behind closed doors. It likes to stay in the dark. And when good men who understand and know what's going on don't say anything, then what happens is evil spreads. And that's what's happening in the church now. Men, um, they are they are keeping it in the dark. They're trying to hide it. And when you hide it, it has spread it over the last 60, 70, 80 years. And but it's time that we as men come out of the closet and stop um, and stop condoning what they're doing, because when you don't say anything, you're basically condoning it. OK, so that's what we need to do. Stop hiding it. Stop letting them hide it. And we have to bring it out in the light. And how is that? By placing it, discussing it in your environment. This is uh, quote number 13 that I have in the document that um, that speaks about the issues of in the evils of Cardinal McCarrick um, from the testimonial brought out into the light by Archbishop Vigano. Quote, Cardinal World also clearly lied on another occasion. Following a moral unacceptable event authorized by the academic authorities of Georgetown University, I brought it to the intention of its president, Dr. John Duguoya, sending him two subsequent letters before forwarding them to the archdiocese so as to handle things properly. I personally gave a copy of them to the cardinal with an accompanying letter I had written. The cardinal told me that he knew nothing about it. However, he failed to acknowledge receipt of my two letters, contrary to what the customary contrary to what he customarily did. I subsequently learned that the event at the George at Georgetown had taken place for seven years, but the cardinal knew nothing about it. Hmm. Cardinal World. Well aware of the continuous abuses committed by Cardinal McCarrick and the sanctions imposed on him by Pope Benedict, transgressing the Pope's order, also allowed him to reside at a seminary in Washington, D.C. In doing so, he put other seminarians at risk, end quote. Now, come on. This is what I was just talking about. We allow men to be evil and to hide things. And then we allow them to go, well, I didn't know about it. 
Yes, they know about it, but they are trying to hide things. They're trying to think it's going to go away. If we, if men don't fight, what happens? Satan wins. And however you as a person look at Satan or look at evil or look at, look at the supernatural world, there's no denying that these men have stopped praying. They've, they've lost their morality and they've lost their faith. And it's I'm so glad that Archbishop Vigano has come out and given us a uh, uh, given us a beam of light. So getting back to the top 21 reasons that men have caused this certain scandal in the church. I want to let you know that these 21 things items are not are in no certain order and that um, what I'll do is make sure and put put them in the show notes, too. And these items, as I said, they're no certain order and they do feed upon one another. That's why I didn't put them in any special order. So what is the number 13 reason men have caused the 2018 scandal in the Catholic Church? Drum roll. <laughs> I didn't do that too good. <laughs> Number 13 is we didn't crush no fault divorce. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. No fault divorce. The first laws for allowing no fault divorce sprang up in California in the 1970s. Signed into law by no other than. Mr. Reaganomics himself, Ronald Reagan, who was a divorcee himself. Sounds like a definite conflict of interest to me. Anyway, moving on. No fault divorce has been a catastrophe for the family and for the stability of our country from the beginning. No fault divorce is utter selfishness. And it is. No fault divorce is completely selfish in that it, it the couple's can divorce for anything and for no reason. And what that what they don't understand is when you go through tough times together, it makes your marriage stronger. Okay. If you cop out at the, at the beginning, before you even get a chance to get going, man, it takes, I mean, honestly, it takes 10, 15 years for marriage to really get going so that you know each other so that you get into each other. Um, and when you give up easy like this, you you don't have you don't give your marriage a chance to grow toward growing holiness. OK, um, all, also no fault divorce claims to protect the wife and cruelty um, from cruelty, to protect the wife from cruelty and abuse and to protect the well-being of children. But we all know this is com- complete crap. We know it. And everybody inherently knows it. Let's look at the so-called fruits of no-fault divorce. See, the thing about it is, is women, they claim to protect women. But in the Catholic faith, Christ, women are allowed, or men, if they are abused, which means physically abused most of the time, if they are physically abused in a situation, they are allowed to separate. The marriage is allowed to separate for a time. Okay, but you still can't get a divorce. Why? Because what I've said before, God does not allow it because he understands that emotions are fleeting. You need an act of the will in order to for your marriage to grow. And when someone makes a mistake, we have to understand that we're all human being. We're broken, original sin. 
We're psychologically defective. And, and so what happens is if we just give our marriage away like that, and then what, five years later, guess what? Um, then we realize that it wasn't that bad or we're in a relationship with another person and we realize, man, the grass is never greener. And I'm going to tell you what, a, a man wants to go out and leave his wife or a woman wants to leave their wife and the they divorce. And then five or six years later, what do they do? Most of the time, those people regret getting a divorce. Why? Like I just said, because the grass is never greener. That person has their defects too. Then, uh, then the person starts to go, oh man, she's worse than my wife was. Or man, he's worse than my he's worse than my husband was. And another thing too, most people can keep picking the same type of person. Okay. Man, we have to understand you stay together. And most people, when you ask them divorcees, most of them will tell you, man, we probably should have stayed together and fought it out. It would have been better. That's why abuse of the wife is not, or the husband, but more mainly it's because of the wife, is, is not a reason to get divorce. It's not allowed for divorce or annulment. What it is allowed for is for the separation of the couple, okay? And that means that the, the spouse that's getting abused can take the children and get them away and be separated for a while. And Christ has no problem with that. Um, but what do we do? We want to involve the government. We want to involve the lawyers. We want to, why? Because really in the end, what we want to do is we really want to get away. We want to find that new prime Cadillac. <laughs> okay. So let's look at the so-called fruits of no fault divorce. It's made a lot of money for the lawyers and courts, which has, no urgency to change the laws, even though the family is completely devastated. Okay. Lawyers and judges, nothing against them, but this is their livelihood, man. They're not trying to, to get real no-fault divorce anytime soon. Why? Big money. Women file for no-fault divorce a lot more than men. Women are high maintenance. Wives are high maintenance, and that's not bad. What that does is that makes the man man up and love the woman how she's supposed to be, to give her attention, to pay closer to her needs, her wants, desires. And so most women will they'll they'll go get a divorce when the man's not doing her husband's not doing his job and then he gets mad at her but man when you are playing doing the fishing and the golfing all the time your wife she needs you way more than that we have to get our priorities together as men um when a woman files for a no-fault divorce basically this means that she feels unloved uncherished and unfulfilled okay the big claim is children are happier with no-fault divorce too that is complete nonsense as well. Why? Children could care less about the happiness of their parents. What they want is their mom and dad married together in the same house. Now, look, my, my mother and my father got divorced when me and my sister were like 16, 17. You know, my sister was like 15. I was like 16, 17, something like that. And I'm telling you, our family has never recovered all the time. We're 50. Me and my sister are in our 50s now. And nothing is it's worse matter of fact it's not even better it's worse than it was we're you know we never really get together on holidays um my parents are almost usually apart um and the thing about it is is me and my sister have never recovered from this debacle you know and my parents deep down know it they probably would never admit it but they know that the, our family is not what it should be and this is what I'm telling you now. This is this has happened to millions and millions of families. 
you know, selfishness abounds. People get divorced because they're thinking about themselves, who they want, the new shiny, the new shiny trinket, which is what? Another man or another woman. Why? Because those people, they think, don't have anything wrong with them. But as soon as they get with them, they find out real quick. Okay. Um, next thing, more unhappy, no fault divorces, more unhappiness for women. Women are miserable as they are tasked with tons and tons of work and responsibility. As most women, they don't like all this work that they have working 8, 10, 12 hours a day, even if they are in a career they love. You know, they, they don't like it. Then they got to come home if they if they have the mistakes of what? Of having children, because, you know, children, they're all mistakes these days. You know, nobody wants to plan them. So when they do come, they're a mistake. You know, you got then she has to come and take care of the children, make sure her husband's happy. You know, um, she has to do all these things. And it's a lot of stress. Women, God did not create women for all this mental and physical stress. Okay. She is a nurturer and she is supposed to be at peace at home, raising the best children in the world. But now, but what do we do? No fault divorce, allowing the government to get involved has crushed this for many families. Wow. Another thing, if you talk to most men and women who've, who've had a divorce, um, like I said, they wish they had never done it. Another thing, too, I said before, going through tough times makes the family stronger. OK, it makes the family, it makes the marriage stronger. It makes the, the, the family stronger and it makes the, uh, the country stronger and society stronger um, because family is the foundation of the universe. That's nothing we don't understand. Not going, um, not getting married. What I mean is not having a vocation for being a priest or none, um, or um, not getting married. Though being a single person is nothing great. That's complete selfishness too. People go, well, I, I can't. I want to get married. I want to do this. I spoke to a woman last night. You know who has a daughter? Her daughter's uh forty something years old. All she wants to do is travel all the time. She don't have any kids or anything. And her mother actually sat there and tried to give us all the reasons why what her, what her daughter was doing was right. But the people listening to that woman, it was a me and another man. And we looked at each other and we knew that the mother was full, full of it. You know, um, because for one thing, it's hard to get to heaven by yourself. Why? Because you haven't sacrificed for anything. Your whole life as a single person has been, I am going to, you know, it's about me. What I want to do. Where I want to go, I don't want to. Ha- I don't want to sacrifice for any children or any husband or God. I don't want to sacrifice for nobody. I just want to have fun all the time. And really, when that woman, when she she's forties, her forties now. What happens when she gets in her fifties or sixties or seventies or eighties? She's going to be in a nursing home by herself, nobody visiting her, probably the government taking care of her, and she's going to be miserable. And guess what'll happen? She gets to go to hell so she could be miserable the rest of her eternity. Isn't that just so great? Whatever, man. People are blind. This, these things, um, is why God doesn't allow divorce, because He knows these things and He knows the real deal. So now, next, I read an article recently by um, the MarysAdvocates.org website speaking on this subject. They do a very good job of separating out the differences between the secular world's idea of divorce and the Catholic idea of divorce. So here's how they compare the two. They call no-fault divorce so-called civil divorce, okay, so-called civil marriage. So here's what they say. 
The relationship starts when two people, they mean uh, civil marriage. Um, the relationship starts when two people marry each other and state approved witness signs a wedding license. So basically two people decide they want to get married and um, they go and get a license from the government. Thereafter, parties can jointly own property and jointly have parental rights over children they bear. Obligations to which they agree to adhere to are once they get they decide to get married, they get, married, get their license and everything, they get married. This is what they agree to um, in uh, society, in societal marriage. One, upon request by either party, the marriage shall be terminated. No thought divorce, which means you didn't give your life to this person. Say, for instance, a, a woman gives her life, her body, her soul and everything to her husband. And then when he gets uh, when he gets a stick up his butt, he decides he won't be married no more because he wants to go out and get the Ferrari that he thinks was a Ferrari anyway. And he leaves his wife and his family. I knew a, a dude that's done that now. Left his wife, his kids and everything. And they're miserable. And really, he's miserable, too. And if he's not miserable right now, he will be with no distinction between uh, made between between the party that wants to end the marriage and the party that does not want to end the marriage. That's more uh, of the no fault divorce thing. Basically, when someone wants to end the divorce, you know, they can be forced to get uh, when somebody wants to end the marriage, they can be forced to get a divorce whether the, whether both party wants to or not. It's really on the other person. They don't have to prove anything. So number two, by default, marital property will be split 50 50. So, if your husband, if a, if a husband is the one that makes all the money, um, and he wants to get a divorce, and the wife she stayed home and 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 did the great duty of raising and nurturing, and educating children, all of a sudden this dude wants to get divorced. You know, he he try to take all the stuff, and she's given she doesn't have anything, and that's why divorce is bull. Is because people. He couldn't have went out and made all that money if his wife hadn't stayed home and took care of him, took care of the children, took care of the home and made things comfortable for him. Three, by default, one parent will lose every day, will lose, will lose every day access to his children most of the time. And the other parent will lose every day access to the children some of the time. That is, you know, that's self-explanatory. Basically, um, either the person that you know wins the court case, they get to have the kid all the time, and the daddy don't get to see the kid, or they have uh, joint physical custody, which means you know the person can, um, you know, like one person has them all during the week, and then they swap, and then the other one has them on the weekend, and then the next week they swap. It's 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 just chaos for the kids. The kids are getting drugged all over the place, but hey, the kids are gonna be all right, hmm, aren't they? Hmm. Four. Um, children will be court ordered to go back and forth between mother and father. I just talked about that. Number five, one parent, usually the one that loses the children most of the time or the one that earns the most money will be ordered to pay the other parent money for years. So you pay one way or the other, man, just like when you have sex outside of marriage. Everybody thinks I'm going to have sex with this girl. And it's going to be free. There's not going to be any, any consequences or any ties. But guess what? You have sex with the girl. You don't want her no more. And then you leave and try to go get another woman. And there was a, your girlfriend, your first girlfriend, do. She goes and comes to your job and knocks on the door and wants through the office yelling for you. Johnny, Johnny, you better come out here and see me. Yeah. Everybody in the office, you're all completely embarrassed now. You're embarrassed now. That's why it's important. It always costs. <laughs> sex is not free. Marriage is not free. Relationships aren't free. You always pay one way or another. 
So you're going to divorce your wife and then you got to pay alimony for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And a lot of women, they don't like getting remarried once they had a failed marriage the first time. Next, some people of, of, of uh, parties in the USA want to enter this kind of marriage when, when they never intend to promise permanence. That's another problem. People get married with the intention of not wanting to, with the intention of not making it permanent. Well, if it doesn't work out, I can always get a divorce in, in a year, in five months, six months. You know, people just want to use each other. If you don't make me happy, if you don't make me happy, if you don't make me happy, I'm going to leave. Okay, people don't want to sacrifice for nothing. No one. And then they don't sit back and think, well, maybe I'm the reason that I'm not happy. Okay, so now we're going to move to what a true marriage is, which is a true Catholic marriage. Right. So the relationship starts when two people say they want to be married for life, open to children, sexually faithful and agree they will be oriented toward each other's good. That is the prime greatness of god's way of marriage people from the start after they get their marriage license they schedule it with the priest they go to premarital counseling in the catholic faith for six months so people can really start to know who each other are and learn that it's not all about this mushy mushy stuff that love is an act of the will it's not about how you feel why because feelings leave you logic stays with you feelings leave you so if you feel you want to be married today then you don't want to be married tomorrow. You can't get a donament or get a divorce in, in, in the Catholic faith, okay, or in the Christian faith if they're doing it right. So also you have to be open to life in your marriage. You have to be open to life, which means you can't take contraception. You can't be aborting babies. Why? Because marriage is not for sex. Marriage is not for how you feel and for pleasure. Marriage is for the procreation of children to educate those children and send those children back to God um, as saints so that those children can make other children boom. So why? So that God, because he wanted to have all his souls with him as many as he could. That's why he started creating the human person so that he, as many, he, he wanted us to enjoy being with God in the beatific vision. And so union of the spouses is like third on the list of what marriage is for, you know, love and compassion, companionship and those things is third on the list. But the first priority of marriage is the procreation of children and their education and the formation of God. The marriage starts when they change prompt, when they exchange promises that are witnessed by a priest talked about that obligation to which they agreed to once they are married are one. They will remain in, in, in an intact home with their family under one roof. Doesn't that sound great for children that they have one man, one woman, their mom and their daddy together, together under one roof, and they're going to church and, and getting formed and starting to learn how to love God, which what makes their life peaceful and happy and joyful? Doesn't that sound great? Number two, one spouse will have a basis for separation only if the other does something terrible, violating the marriage promises, which is what? Such as adultery, dangerous abuse, uh, serious cruelty. So like I said earlier, you know, you can separate under God's law in marriage if, if, the, if these things occur. Okay? It's, it's great. Okay? But you can't get divorced. Why? Because people think people change. A husband may change, a wife may change, and then you didn't got a divorce, and now you had to go through you. You know, most times that people don't people don't get married for a second time. Okay, 
Three, thereafter, both shall uphold obligations that are in accord with divine law and natural law as judged in accordance with the Catholic code of canon law. Okay. Next, we must remember that the current bishops and priests over the age of 60 or so grew up in this mess. Okay. We get the leaders we deserve. For the past, you know, most of the bishops in, are in charge today. They grew up in the 60s and 70s and stuff after Vatican II. And those dudes, and you have to, you have to feel sorry for them in a way because they were taught, they were t not taught the true word of Christ. So, right, they have the foggy faith, you know, the, the faith that whereas, you know, nothing's really concrete. And it's hurt them. It's hurt the church. And, and it's said that God gives us, gives us the leaders we deserve. And don't we deserve the leaders we have? That's why it's up to men to uncross your arms in the pews, stop, you know, thinking about pleasure and sports and fishing all the time. Stop, you know, you know, stop just, you know, get, being working all the time. And you have to get in your community and educate people, educate yourself about this, what this world is really about so that the church can recover from this mess okay and with the watering down the faith in the 60s more exact after vatican II, these men had no more sinful, no moral center to rely on that's another thing that happened when you don't teach the true word of god men people start not understanding what what their purpose is what they're supposed to do and so when people don't realize what they're supposed to do what do they do they make up their own stuff which is why you have the church men doing things with boys and young men that they're not supposed to. Okay. So right now the priests and, and the bishops in the church right now, since they don't have the foundation of the faith and most of them lost their faith and not praying, they basically reject the faith now when, while they're in power. Okay. They're rejecting God just as Satan did, just as the Pharisees did when Christ was here, just as the Sadducees did when Christ was here. Okay. Next, they rationalize their behavior because they have power and great access to money. Power is another thing. When people don't take the vow of poverty, money starts to be the prime thing. And then people start to doing what? They start to let money be their main focus. And that's why um, having great access to money is, is a bad thing for priests. Okay. Especially the ones that don't have a vow of poverty. Um, also, and because the lady men in the Catholic faith don't hold them accountable anyway or anymore. We, the men, we don't hold them accountable. Why? Because we're doing what they're doing. We're having sodomized sex. We're having sex outside of marriage with other women. We're trying to sleep with as many women, women as we can. We're into pornography. You know, we're into all the stuff too. So we go, well, how can we judge them? See, we're not being of the proper Christ, way Christ wants to be either. We're being wusses too. You know, that's why nobody said nobody holds the priest accountable because we're out there doing the stuff too. Okay. We have to man up, fellas. Really? Why? Because now, the like I just said, the men are fat, happy, uncomfortable just the way things are. That's why nobody's holding them accountable. The men in the church accountable because we're fat and happy the way things are. Like I just said, the women do everything while we'll sit around, while we sit around engaging in enormous and short lived pleasure seeking activities. We deny any responsibility or duty to God, church, marriage, children and society and how it turns out. It's said in the Catholic faith that God sends us the leaders we deserve. Huh? And wow. 
how we've earned the ones we have in spades. We should be completely ashamed of ourselves and disgusted with what we are not. A hero to which our boys can aspire to. So what do you think? Send your questions or comments to radicalquestions at catholicalpha.com. Radicalquestions at catholicalpha.com. Send your show ideas and send your comments to radicalquestions at catholicalpha.com. Again, please remember to share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage or relationship. Rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email today. Hello, we are on location at Holy Rosary Catholic Church for their second annual parish mission. So I thought I would be it would be a great idea to do an interview and speak with the priest presenting the mission in our Warrior Story segment. Warrior Stories is our segment um, on ordained men who are who are fighting the spiritual battle in the Catholic Church every day through sacrificing their lives, bodies, hearts, and souls for our ultimate warrior, Christ. And today's warrior is Father Louis Guardiola of the Fathers of Mercy Generalate in South Union, Kentucky, ordained May 31st, 2001. His current outreach is the Fathers of Mercy, where he preaches retreats, parish missions, conferences, and 40-hour devotions. Father Guardiola studied under Father John Harden is a lay catechist for seven years. I welcome you, and please help me welcome Father Louis Guardiola. How are you doing, Father? Very good. Good to be with you today. Good. Thank you. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to go over some questions. We're going to learn a little bit about you so that the, the guys can <laughs> get warmed up to you. Absolutely. So how did you grow up with Christ? Were you a cradle Catholic or... You were a convert. I grew up as a cradle Catholic in a Mexican-American family. I was very strong in the faith. My grandparents on my mother's side left Mexico during the Cristero War in the late 1920s for religious freedom. They went up to uh, Detroit, Michigan. Wow. And so um, when so you left, so when, once you left there, you went to Detroit, Michigan. How did that, how did that, how did your family go then? I mean, um, was Christ in your family? Yes. Would you go to Mass all the time? We went to Mass all the time. My uh, grandparents were very strong in the faith, and they communicated that faith to my mother. And, of course, my father, who came from Texas from a Mexican-American family, was very strong in the faith. So, yes, I had a very strong faith the foundation in the, for my grandparents and parents. It served me well. I was born in 1953, so... Uh-huh. When I was coming of age, so to speak, as a teenager, teenager, those were the years of the all the change in the sexual revolution in the mid to late sixties. So 
So that served me very well. I had a strong foundation that saw me through all that turmoil. And so how did you, um, what helped you, do you remember any of the particular issues and problems that you had during that time that, that challenged you? I know it's a long time ago. <laughs> well, the thing was, uh, I might be anticipating a question about how I won my vocation. Should I wait or should I go into that now? You can answer it. Well, we can, Mel, let's go in. So what happened to prompt you to consider becoming a priest then? Yeah, because that's really answers your question and now how I got through the late 60s and all the turmoil of the sexual revolution, junior high, high school, college. In the spring of 1965, I was 12, and I was in the end of sixth grade, and I was in public school. And in those days, Catholics in public school, we went to CCD, Catholic Confraternity Doctrines. Right. And uh, the nuns there asked us to write a book report. Mm-hmm. And I went to my mother, and I said, Mom, I said, there's so many good Catholic books out there. <laughs> How can I just choose one, you know? Uh-huh. So she pulled out the drawer and gave me a book that I read, have been reading for the last 53 years and totally influenced my life and the direction of my life, and it was The Imitation of Christ. Uh-huh. And when I read that, at, I knew after that, from age 12, that I had a vocation. So knowing I had a vocation, in, a, in many ways it made my life very easy. I, the road just opened up to where I was supposed to go and do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to be a Catholic priest, so i got to go to it. Uh, Catholic University, studied Greek and Latin and philosophy theology. So when I had that calling, and I knew it was my calling, it guided me through all the turmoil so I didn't fall into the sexual, um, illicit sexual behavior or the drugs or the alcohol of the uh, late 1960s. I had a lot of my uh, fellow students in junior high and high school, of course, in college were going through. So I had that guidance, and I had a very special care and protection because of that. And of course, with the strong foundation of my parents and my grandparents in the faith, being uh, immigrants and pilgrims of the faith, believing the native Mexico uh, for religious freedom. So what orders or seminaries did you visit? Um, and who did you talk to? And, and um, who helped you decide? Right. Uh, well, God, of course, ultimately. I visited several seminaries, the Redemptorists, the Jesuits, and uh, the local Archdiocese of Detroit. But I knew I had a calling to religious life. And so when I encountered any kind of resistance and any kind of heresy, whether it was uh, unsound liturgical practices or catechetical practices or dogmatic, then I just simply turned away and I knew that wasn't for me. That was my discernment. I had an excellent education. I went to Loyal Chicago and got in my undergraduate years, 1971 to 1975. So I had a tremendous, uh, strong, solid foundation right at the beginning of my adult life, which guided me very well, and I could discern truth from error and, and avoid any uh, religious congregation or uh, diocese that didn't have authentic uh, catechesis. So is um, is Loyola, it's a Catholic school? Or yes, it's run, it's run by the Jesuit fathers. At the time I went, there were the older Jesuits who were formed in the 20s, 30s, 40s. And they were, and they were about, about my age now, 50s and 60s, so they're very strong and solid in faith. I mean, I studied, had eight courses at St. Thomas Aquinas. I had a full degree in uh, scholastic philosophy. I had another degree in ancient languages, Greek and Latin. I studied uh, Father, Church Father's Scripture, uh, all the councils, including 
Vatican II and what it was really supposed to be. Extremely strong uh, foundation in faith in my early adulthood. And also I had a Jesuit, a real Jesuit priest who was my spiritual director from age 18 to 43. My first uh, 25 years of my adulthood, he died right in the middle of my mission when I was 43, 44. So he guided me through those very important years, formative years, you know. So in the end, what would you say was the determining factor um, that put you like over the top to give it to give yourself to God forever? Well, I knew at age twelve it wasn't a matter of having decided. It's just going into a place, into a religious congregation where I wouldn't have to compromise my faith. So I was always a, a what I would call a simplified Catholic. I was always faithful, but I was going to a place where I'd have to lie my way through the seminary or compromise in any way, shape, or form. And so it's just kind of uh, waiting for the time where I could find a good, solid community that I could go to, which I did with the Files of Mercy in 1996. Wow. Um, so I've heard the first two nights, and then I heard you speak um, at the uh, each Mass um, earlier this week, this well, this weekend. And I, I asked this to all of my all the priests that I, and the deacons that I interview, I ask them when you're up there and you're, you know, a lot of things come out that of course are really controversial today. So my question is what gives you the courage to eat, to know, I mean, I kind of know what you're going to say, but I want a little bit more in depth. What gives you the courage to really speak the word of God, of Christ, the way it should be? Well, it's my total surrender to the will of God. First of all, in staying true to my call to be a priest, I mean, I entered religious life at 43, so I had 25 years of adult life before that, which I could have either gotten married or gone to other uh, endeavors, but I didn't. So I stayed true to that, and I surrendered to it, and I said, well, Lord, either I'm going to become a priest or I just stay single. And then once I made that uh, surrender, that built up with me as spiritual moral, doctrinal, intellectual integrity that gave me the strength to always be true to myself and then be true to myself now as a priest to be true to the Word of God and to have the courage to preach what is needed to, to be preached at any kind of time or any kind of a crisis that arouses in the church, arrives in the church and, and always uh, uh, take the gospel and, and preach it in its relevant form. So has anyone, like, you've been to a lot, a lot of places, you know, Australia. I mean, you talked about Australia a little bit, um, but you've been to even talk, like you said, you just came from talking to Mormons and stuff. Yeah. How do people, has anyone ever confronted you after a talk or during the talk? Not so much during the talk, but uh, after the talk. A couple of times in airports, I've had a couple of confrontations. Mainly, people don't want to accept the fullness of the gospel preaching. Some will tell me, okay, Father, you can preach on the Eucharist, but don't preach on contraception or abortion. Stipulations. Yeah, stipulations on that. And then a couple of times, those who are not Catholic, you know, they confronted me with the scandal. They paint all priests because maybe 3 or 4% of the priests might engage in the either homosexual or heterosexual sinful behavior that we're all painted with the same brush. Or someone who's got an axe to grind with the church and they 
could say a Baptist minister or something, he'll come up to me with some kind of misinterpretation of scripture and, you know, the whore of Babylon and that. <laughs> and, uh, right. They come to the wrong, well, depending, right or wrong, right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll set them straight. Really, uh, church teaches. Um, so that leads me to our current issue in the Catholic Church. Um, how has the current 2018 crisis in the Catholic Church affected you? It's given me a even stronger and more tremendous determination to preach the authentic Catholic faith, moral, morality, liturgically, dogmatically. It's given me tremendous courage and also confirmation of the path I've taken for the last 17 years as a priest to continue to preach the gospel of St. Paul of St. in season and out of season. It's also given me determination to show to the faithful what the authentic face of the face of the Roman Catholic priesthood is that is strong, that is max, masculine, it's uncompromising, at the same time merciful and courageous, and uh, we're going to step out and uh, we're going to be part of this healing process of the church that's going on right now. When you first heard, because I mean, when it, it's, it was all over the internet, all over TV and everything. And like me, when I do, um, I'm doing a series of the 21 things that men have caused the, the current scandal and stuff. And when you first heard the document, I know a man like you, you probably at least read half of it. Did you, was your first instinct to um, uh, believe it or discount it? Well, I didn't just believe it. I knew it. I mean, I've been living this reality since 1971. I graduated from high school for 30 years. I was actively trying to become a priest. So I founded the homosexual network and the uh, heresy and the, the corruption within the church, even even uh, with the highest levels of the church. In 1972, as you recall, Pope Saint Pope Paul VI said the smoke Saint had entered in the church. And by that time, I was already entering into my second year of studies at Loyola. I was 19-year-old college sophomore. I knew what he said was true. So it was a confirmation of everything that I had known, and it was just coming out into the open. And I said, well, I said, now our Lord is taking the church in hand and starting to purify. Number one, and number two, that this is an act of divine mercy, because for those of us who have been fighting this war, and suffered and been wounded in many different ways, many different ways. Uh, this is an answer to our prayers, and so that we can finally address what's the root of all the uh, uh, problem and what's causing the division in the church, because how oh, many people are confused, they say, this group of priests says this, this group of priests says the opposite. Right. You know, and for many, many years, there's been this uh, conflict and there's this division, and and uh, I think our Lord, again, is starting to, to finally address this. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. But our Lord is finally taking this church at hand for the cleanse of the corruption. It's going to take time, but it's at hand. How do you think the church has gotten to this point and what has to be done to cleanse it? And when I was first, I was thinking, what can I say? And then we were, I was in daily mass uh, one day and a lady said, Lord, please allow the church to be cleansed. And I thought, you know, that is the perfect way to put it. Yes. So what do, you, what do you think? Well, first of all, we got at this point. Um, I studied under Father Hardness, you know, for seven years. And he knew, spoke very uh, 
penetratingly about what was the problem. You, see, you have to go back to about 1927. Joseph Stalin took over full power in Russia, and one of the things he did was to penetrate the church with homosexuals and atheists and communists into the seminaries. That started in 1927. 1950s, Bella Dodd, who was a member of the Communist Party of the United States from 1927 to 1949, she left the party and converted to faith. She spoke to Bishop Sheen and let, her, let him know about what happened in the church and in the world and in the U.S. And she revealed that over 1,000, she had brought over 1,000 men to the U.S. seminaries who were homosexual, communist, atheists, and, and also um, uh, other things as well. So we've had this network and this infiltration. That's why I had to tell people, you can't judge Jesus by Judas. Don't, the church is our Lord Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> right. right. Yes. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is not yes. Jesus Christ. It's a divine institution. If we were a divine institution, we'd have been elected a long time ago. Amen. You know? And so we've had this infiltration. The church has been going on for 91 years, and now it's being exposed. And so that's the origin. Once we know that, then what is the response, how we're going to heal? It's going to be prayer, fasting, and penance, prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, attending the Holy Sacrifice of Mass, receiving the Eucharist as much as we can, going to confession as often as we can, getting ourselves strengthened through the sacraments, through prayer, fasting, and penance, and reparation of our lives on every level, both the priest and the laity, the entire church, okay? Because people say, well, the laity are going to save the church, or the priest, it's going to be everybody, the priest and the laity working together, those who have the authentic Catholic faith and binding together that remnant that's going to strengthen the church. That's that's how we're going to save this. And it, and it will happen, but it's going to just take time. It's going to be painful, but uh, we know at the same time that we're going to be delivered from all these evils. And uh, yes, like that lady says, the purification of churches at hand. Now, I have done 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the 13th. The, the segment is, I call it the radical rant of the day, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> and so I've listed the top 21 reasons that men are responsible for the scandal in the church. Right. And so I've done the 12, and this is your show's the 13th. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always say is you can't leave Jesus for Judas. I mean, that, and when you said right. it perfect, and right. that's why I was laughing. Because, right. Right. I mean, people don't realize what they do is they get upset and they start, re- they start forgetting that if they think they're going to walk into a parish or a church or even a Protestant church and they think that it's going to be holy when they walk in, as soon as they walk in, it's not holy anymore. Right. You right. know, <laughs> right, right. It's reminds me of what Mother Juggle said one time. A person said on her program, "Why well, I don't go to church uh, because they're full of hypocrites." And she says, "Well, what is one more hypocrite going to make a difference?" Amen. Yeah. Amen. Now, when you talk to Father Hardin, mm-hmm. um, and he said, and he was telling you this stuff about how the church is going to be, and I know the kind of man you are, you found mm-hmm. a way. <laughs> to, so that you could look when you get to that future, because right. he might not be. You probably thought, well, he might not be with us. Mm. Um, what did you think when he was telling these things to you at first? Well, I had already done a lot of research myself. You know, here I was in the sixth and seventh grade, and I was already reading about Bella Dodd and what she said about the church because I was very interested in uh, politics and things like that when I was a young man. Right, I, I was kind of a precocious young man. And so that just uh, simply delved with my own experience. And of course, you know, when I 
started studying with him. I was 36 years old. I was a mature man. So I already went with my war with the Jesuits uh, 13 years earlier. By the time I was 23 years old, I knew everything that was wrong in the church and universities and high schools, religious communities, and in the uh, archdiocese. So I was uh, pretty savvy at the time. It just confirmed everything that I already knew and, and uh, gave me more uh, knowledge to know how to deal with it. Okay. Um. So this is this is this is a tough question. It might be mm -hmm. you might already thought about it. Um, what is your number one challenge as a priest? My number one challenge as a priest is to arouse in the faithful zealousness for the faith. That's the number one thing. Zealousness on a number of levels. First of all, the zealousness to study and deepen their faith, to read, oh, man. to read the catechism of the Catholic Church. I know. To pray, to have that knowledge of the faith translated into devotion, to pray the rosary, to pray Eucharistic adoration. I've been, um, I'm the head of the Eucharistic adoration part of the mission man for the Files of Mercy since the third month of my priesthood. So I've been doing this for over seven years, getting people just to come and adore Jesus, and then mass participation, and then having the courage to defend the faith. Ah, oh, you know, and you're not going to have yes. the courage to defend the faith unless you know the faith first. Amen. So I one know. follows another. So knowledge of the faith <laughs> that leads to prayer and devotion. So the knowledge will right. give you the prayer. The prayer will give you the grace and the knowledge to defend the faith. You yes. see, Father, I have a, a blog. It's called Catholic Alpha, right? Sure. And for three years, I have been trying to talk to men. And I talk to a lot. Right. But not, I mean, men, like me, like I told you earlier, me and my wife are starting another podcast. It's called Catholic Alpha for her. Mm -hmm. And we just, ha she says, look, why are you talking to men? They are not going to listen. They're not going to do anything. You talk to these women over here, and then the women will talk to them to get them to act right. But- the th I know what she's saying is right, mm -hmm. but I just have this it's a strong calling to to speak to the men to try to get them to because my thing is always preventative maintenance. Right. I was in the Air Force mm -hmm. and I worked on B-52 bombers sure. and fighters. Mm -hmm. And our thing about that was we did maintenance on the aircraft yes. so that when it's in the air in the flight, right. it doesn't break down. I so know. they don't have problems in flight. Yes. And that's kind of the thing that I way I take with my marriage and right. my relationship with my children is I try to do preventative maintenance. I right. try to do I enter the spiritual valley daily. I pray rosaries. For, we do right. I do all these things sure. so that hopefully the Holy Spirit will help guide them when I'm not around. Right. But most dudes they they just do not they want to we want to most men want to solve the problem when the problem is at hand. That's right. That's true. And so what do you what do you think about that? Well, there's no question that men need to get involved more in leadership roles for the church. I think this goes to being a true father. A father is not just a man in we're talking about matrimonial fatherhood. Okay. Who uh reproduces himself in body and his children, he must reproduce his faith. We need that manly, strong, fatherly element of the faith. 
and men to be leaders in that way too. I mean, women have their, they lead in one way, right. men lead in another way. As yes. the church says, the dignity of men and women is equal, different, but complementary. So we need that masculine, strong witness to the faith. There's no question about it. And, and, and what your wife says is true. You know, sometimes you can get to the man through the wife, but you know, in the end, the guys have to decide to be, uh, to stand up and be true men and have that fatherly, strong, uh, silent and strong sometimes like St. Joseph. There's a great uh, a model of the faith there, manly, strong, masculine faith. So yes, men need to take their own role in the, and to lead as well. And one of the things, I've, you know, women, you know, because when I first started researching marriage mm-hmm, in the Catholic mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. of course, one of the first things I came across was Ephesians 5, 20, right. uh, 21 through mm-hmm. 33. And of course, within the first two, <laughs> two verses, Women submit to their husbands, mm-hmm. right? And I really researched that really, really, really hard. Yes, I I got from priests like you, right. from saints, because I, I really want to understand that. Mm. And would it come? Would it? One of the things that I did learn uh, out of many things about the, that passage is that women expect their children to be obedient to them, mm. but then they don't want to be obedient to their husband through Christ. Right. So they don't understand, you know, if your child if your child curse, curses you out or your mm-hmm. child doesn't do what you ask them to do, what does a woman do? Does she expects him to the children to do that? Right. But the but then when her husband, God has placed her husband mm-hmm. through Christ as the the head right. and the spiritual head and the final, basically the final decision maker through her guidance. Right. Through her guidance and it, it 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 just I don't think that most women make that connection mm-hmm. that if your husband if if Christ is the actual head of the home right Christ, uh, your husband is next and then your third and your children after that if your children if you don't obey your husband or be obedient to your husband how do you how can you expect your children to be obedient to you right and if you read the whole context, because a lot of times people just read the first two, right. three uh, lines of that particular uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and they say, okay, women sub- submit to their husband, and then that's it. They don't read the rest of it. The rest of it calls the man actually more uh, the burden of the man. Two-thirds of it is, husband, you must love your wife as your own flesh, and you must be like Christ and be willing to uh, give yourself even your own life. And what woman doesn't really want that, truly? Right, right. She wants a man that's going to give his complete self and sacrifice his life if necessary for her. And and that's what, when he says submit to your wives, that's wives submit to your husband to respect that unconditional, sacrificial, self-psyching, martyr love that that the husband is called for his wife and his children. So that's what's really to, to respect that. And I talked to my wife, and, mm. and man, I'm telling you, I would not be Catholic without my wife. I would not love God without my wife. Mm. I mean, she really was patient right. with me because mm. I was just like the men that we're talking to about now. Right, right. <laughs> and she really guided me, and and that is what I try to portray out here is that, and I tell my friends this, right. and, and when we talk and stuff, I said, man— your wife's job is to guide you. Right. Let her guide you. That's right. That's right. 
that counsel is so why because your wife loves you more right. than any human person that's on true. this earth that's true and so if you you have to like a uh, father ripperker i don't know if you've ever heard of him yes, he I says do. that oh mm -hmm. you know you have to let you have to listen to your a man that doesn't listen to his wife is basically of course food. and i see it in my own parents my parents were married 25th october 1951 they've been married 67 years Mm -hmm. And my mother said that you got to give your spouse a chance and time to mature. And my father, he was uh. a classic uh, Mexican-American macho man. You know? <laughs> he was kind of like a Mexican rocker Balboa. He'd work hard construction all day, and then uh -huh. he would uh, go in the gym and fight at night. You know? Hey, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then, what are you, I mean, your father was a boxer, man? Yeah, he was a boxer. He was a good boxer. He really? Fought, he fought him and my uncle, Charlie, uh, they fought for Kronk Gym in Detroit. Really? Yeah. Did they, I mean, professionally, uh, go uh, to gloves? My uncle fought professionally. Uh -huh. my, both my dad and my un uncle uh, were Golden Glove boxers. My uncle Charlie was champ in Golden Glove. Wow. And then my dad was champion in the armed forces in the lightweight class, I think, back in 47. What branch of the armed forces was he? Air Force. He was a sheet metal man. He would. Uh, what force? I'm sorry. Air Force. Oh, I was he in was the Air Force. a sheet metal man. So I work with sheet metals, metalmen all the time. Right. So when you told me about preventive maintenance, I know all you know. That. <laughs> oh, yeah, my dad was with the Berlin Airlift and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. See, that's why I love talking to to priests like you. Mm. That man, you you're so rich, and 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 I want the men to know. That's why I do right. this segment, man. I want the men to know. Right. Look. This is where he came from, and this is where he is today. Right, right. And, you know, both I could see in both my parents, my mother had a tremendous strength, you know, in a, in a feminine way that did not compromise her feminine or make her masculine. Right. And my dad had a tremendous strength in a masculine way in the faith. And when he listened to my mother and slowly but surely, now they both prayed a rosary, uh, they're very devout. You know, my dad's reading Teresa of Avila at age 90, almost 91, you know. And uh, he uh, listened to my mother, and his faith grew stronger because of my mother without any compromise to his masculinity. Mm -hmm. See, so I saw that from my own parents, an example. Like my grandmother is 91, maybe oh, 92. Mm -hmm. And we had her over to dinner mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother, she is a, a beautiful woman right but she's hardcore man mm, she comes right. from the 40s 30s right and where you know to her anytime i start talking about mm. forgiving right. the white man for this and right. that my grandmother her her whole aura changes right. and she starts telling me all these stories about how they they wouldn't let her do this and mm -hmm. have the catholic because she's not catholic anymore she went to presbyterian and she told me the reason she left the faith was because when that the priest would make them sit up in the thing, up mm. in the balconies, right. make the blacks sit up in the balconies. Mm. And her and my grandfather gave all this money to the church. I mean, my grandparents worked for my grandfather was a, like a structural engineer or right, something. Sure. And she was she worked for the government and mm -hmm. uh, the armed forces in some kind of capacity the financial center right so they were blacks that were not rich or high upper middle but they were probably middle class to upper middle class sure. and 
man, Father, when I start, when we started talking about, um, you know, the Catholic faith, because I'm that's my grandmother. That's right. And right. I want her. I'm. I shouldn't say I want, but Christ wants her, and I want. I want her of course, of course. to come back to the faith. Right. And me, me and my wife talk about it all the time. Right. And but man, when she, when we start talking, when we brought that up, her whole aura changed, and she start. She says she left, like I said, because you know the way they treated blacks, and so she figured she went to another faith to you know. Well, she's got to understand that they're just as prejudiced over there, but what would you say, Presbyterians? And, right. And probably but, even more. Um, I mean, you go to a church like in Africa, man, you got some strong Catholics there in faith. And I got a lot of African priests or, you know, from Nigeria and Liberia and Kenya. I mean, they're, I look up to them. They're my heroes, you know? When the, when the, when the, during the Senate last mm -hmm. year, the second one, I think, mm -hmm. we would all say, we would say that the African priests are going to save the church, the African bishops. I believe that. Because I believe that. they were not going along with this stuff. And they're that we're still not. About. And they're, they're not. They'll never. Because never. They, they, know, they know in Africa, I've never been there, but from what I understand is it's a, it's a, it's a continent of sacrifice. It is. And it suffering. Is. It is. And martyrdom because you've got the Muslims in there and they're killing a lot of the Catholics and then fighting it you know back and forth father we could talk about this all day we gotta yeah, move on i'm sorry yeah, we're wimps compared to them <laughs> oh yeah we are wimps compared yeah to you them. better believe it wow i hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with my distinguished guest father Louis guardiola of the Fathers of Mercy. Again, Father Guardiola, he was the bomb. You will get to see episode part two of his interview in episode 14. So be sure and listen. And in conclusion, as we always do, we end with a quote from Pope Benedict XVI. Quote, society offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. So go forth, Christian soldier. The spiritual fight is up on you. Fast, pray, and prepare for battle. Thank you, Christian soldier, for listening in today. Remember, Catholic Alpha Radical is designed to repair, ignite, and once again spark the fire back into your marriage or relationship. So, What's your next action step? One, share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage or relationship. Two, rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Three, subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email now.